0: Welcome to another episode of Same Team, an LGBTQ sports podcast. I am your host. My name is Daniel Trainer. How are you? Thank you very much for listening. Appreciate your time. Today's episode is a great one. I think my guest today is Kirk Walker. Kirk is a current assistant softball coach at UCLA and is a a real pioneer in the world of LGBTQ sports. Uh, Kirk, back in 2005, became, at the time, heralded as the first ever Division I coach to come out as gay. Uh, Kirk has a a little bit of contention with that. He'll tell you why. But nonetheless, uh, a a pioneer and, and somebody who has continued to push things forward in the field. Uh, Kirk was a head coach at Er at Oregon State for a while, I should say. Uh, It's back now at UCLA where he went to school, where he got his start in a place that means a heck of a lot to him. UCLA, to their credit, doing a lot of wonderful stuff on their own. So congratulations to them. But Kirk really now uh, plays the role of coach, but also activist. He He does so much wonderful stuff. Especially on social media, in terms of bringing people together, bringing people together who were doing stuff in the worlds of LGBTQ sports, uh, whether that's athletes or journalists or other people. He loves fostering community, and he has done that so well. He's very passionate about that. So I talked to him uh, about that towards the tail end of our interview, all the great stuff that he is doing. He's a busy guy, doing a ton, and and has really been there uh, through the entirety of this fight uh, and, and continues to, to really push things forward in, in such a remarkable way. So it was an honor to get to chat with him. You know, I sort of tell him, you know, I, I live in LA and now I sort of feel like I'm obliged to be a UCLA Bruin softball fan. I got to make it out there to a couple games. I'll, I'll be there this year cheering on uh, Kirk and the Bruins. So without any further ado, here is my same team one on one interview with UCLA assistant softball coach Kirk Walker. <laughs> like to sort of start from the beginning i mean you do so much great stuff now that i'm such a fan of but if you don't mind let's back up a little bit i would love to know uh, a little bit about where you grew up and and what kind of kid you were
1: um i grew up uh in the san fernando valley um back in the uh you know i was born in 65 so you know grew up through the 70s and um got heavily involved with softball and coaching um, through my sister. My sister was two years younger, and uh, you know, we're, there was four kids in our family, all athletes, and my youngest uh, sibling, my sister, was a, a softball player and was pretty highly recruited and, um, to play on club teams, and I got connected to those club teams and uh, kind of spent a lot of my youth kind of around her sports and coaching and being around her and helping her teams um, more than I did kind of competing on my own. So that was kind of um, how I grew up. Uh, my, both my older brothers played football and baseball and everything else, and I seemed to kind of uh, assimilate towards her and her athletic endeavors and kind of being involved with those
0: so i mean born and raised in the la area i mean you're like a you're like a unicorn i mean so many of my <laughs> i have like of all of my friends who are here i think i might have oh god two or three who are actually from here what was it like sort of growing up in the valley in in the 70s you know it was um it was a pretty
1: great time i mean we didn't uh we didn't really worry about too much uh we you know obviously upper middle class in the west valley and was very safe. And, you know, we'd be running around all day and, uh, you know, and then we show up at, at dusk or at night for dinner. Um, oh, man, so what a, what a time, no, what a time, what, you know, I mean, you think about it now and it's just unheard of obviously. And, <laughs> and we didn't have cell phones. So, you know, our, our parents or our mom would have to track us down if they needed to get a hold of us. Cause we were running all over town. Um, you know, I, I will say unsupervised, but we certainly, you know, we certainly weren't, uh, Um, You know, running around causing trouble, but um, (laughs) it it was a good time. You know, it was a very safe time for the most part. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think grew up in a suburb that was very um, uh, family oriented. So there was lots of kids around and and lots of parents um, that always had eyes on us, uh, I'm sure.
0: It sounds like a great, a great way to grow up. It's interesting that you say that you were so drawn to coaching. So, I mean, from day one, that was where your mindset went. It wasn't about playing. It was about, it was about getting involved sort of that way. What, what do you think? I mean, obviously you say your sister was obviously a big part of that, but what part of you do you think drew you to that aspect of, of sports? Well, you know, it's
1: interesting because I think, um, I wouldn't say that I was drawn immediately to just coaching, um, automatically, but I was drawn to kind of, being around and helping. So I was, um, and that's kind of in my nature is to kind of, kind of help facilitate other people be better and be at their best. So, um, obviously if you really look at the core of what coaching is, that's, that's really, uh, an affinity towards helping someone else other than yourself, um, excel and succeed. And that, that was what I was drawn to. And obviously as I got, um, older and I was like, you know, 15, um, I really was given a great opportunity by the club coaches that my sister played for because I was always around. I was throwing batting practice. I was shagging balls. I was helping the coaches Mm
0: -hmm. do whatever
1: they needed, um, catching the pitchers. And they saw in me, obviously, my passion for helping the athletes succeed. And they really helped foster um, more structured, I guess, my coaching path because they put me in charge of things and they would put me, um, you know, in positions to, to be coaching, um, when I was just a few years older than some of the athletes. And, uh, so it was during that period of time, I would say from about 15 until I was 18 that I really, um, got heavily kind of indoctrinated into the coaching world. Um, and you know, that's a period of time when generally, I would, as an athlete, or as an individual, would be, if I was athletic, be focusing on my own playing time and my own sports. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know if it was because I was obviously in denial about my sexuality that I just, I really didn't, I wasn't drawn to me, myself, being the athlete and competing. I was much more content um, helping the athletes that I was around succeed.
0: Well, it's, yeah, uh, that's, it's interesting you sort of relate it to that. I mean, you know, when you are sort of a teenager, sort of going through all this, where are you in terms of your sexuality and, and sort of opening up that part of, of your world was, I mean, when did you sort of know that you were, you know, gay? And, and how did that sort of play out as you as you went through high school?
1: Well, you know, I think um, at the time, um, obviously, there was no Internet, there was no, you um, depictions on television of any um i'm going to say uh standard individuals or or mainstream individuals that obviously identified as gay any characters that there were on TV were extremely effeminate or extremely um you know uh, depicted as really mentally you know deranged or you know killer so <laughs> I, I never really identified my sexuality at all. And and it wasn't really something that was discussed. And, and like I said, there was no internet. So we certainly never learned about anything through the internet like you would see today. So mm-hmm. uh, looking back now, I realized I was, I knew that I um, was uncomfortable being in a situation where I was, were around other guys. Um, and, and I guess I might have, feelings or attractions. I didn't know what that was per se, but I definitely felt like it was, um, something I was uncomfortable with. Um, but to know that it was my sexuality, I I couldn't identify that. Now, looking back now, knowing what I know now, and then looking back, clearly, um, I, I was, I, I was aware in those teenage years that I had, um, crushes or, um, I, I liked to be around certain uh, guys that obviously I I felt were attractive or I felt were um, interesting or that I kind of had a, a great um, connection with.
0: Well, it's interesting. Uh-huh. It, it sort of sounds like coaching sort of became the vehicle or the way for you to be around sports, to be in that world while maybe not having to be in a locker room or be in some sort of environment that might make you confront something. I mean, was coaching sort of like, all right, I can do this and maybe not have to answer so many questions about who I am. I can still be in this world, but it's not in a way that is going to sort of expose maybe the person who I think I might be. And I would say yes, all, all subconsciously, not certainly not, not a conscious effort,
1: but certainly subconsciously, I think that played into it. But I also think it was a little bit of my, my personality. I, I definitely know that I, my personality even today, um, a, as an openly gay male, um, that I still have an affinity to always want to help facilitate others succeeding. So I know that that was always a part of my nature, but I, that's what drew me to coaching. But I think you're absolutely spot on, is that I kind of didn't pursue my own path in athletics um, as an athlete, partly because it was... Um, it was a safer place and I felt comfortable um, being in a co- more of a coaching role than I was uh, in a team athlete role.
0: Yeah. So walk me to, walk me down the path a little bit as as we progress. So you get to college and, and things sort of uh, things unfold from there. I mean, give me if you can, a, a, maybe a sparks note, a spark notes version of of your of your sort of coaching career as you get to as you get to college. Yeah, I mean, I obviously had another a
1: great opportunity when I, um, you know, college athletics was definitely different back in the early 80s. So I graduated in 83. Um, I, I end up getting on, uh, getting into UCLA. And, and in the fall of 83, I get connected to the softball program through um, some of the coaches that I knew. And they said, you should go up and talk to them about throwing back practice or being around, being a manager. So I did that. I got connected to the program. Uh, they had been the national champions in 1982. But it, college athletics, like I said, it wasn't very televised. Nobody really knew about it. So um, I got connected and I was had the great fortune to work with two um, Hall of Famers, uh, Sharon Backus and Sue Inquest, um, and they immediately saw in me Um, the same kind of thing that the other coaches when I was younger had saw. So Mm -hmm. immediately by the end of my, the fall, they said, Hey, we'd like you to adjust your, your academic schedule to travel with us and be with us full time. Um, and so I started doing that traveled full time at the end of my first year, they pulled me in and said, look, we'd like to make this a little bit more, um, serious and we'd like to put you on full scholarship. So my sophomore year, I went into full scholarship kind of as an undergrad assistant, um, and did more work in the office and was just more engaged. And I will say, honestly, by the end of my junior, well, certainly by the start of my junior year, um, I was in a complete coaching role. And I was working with hitters. I was running certain parts of practice. I was certainly um, working with athletes individually, um, the pitchers. And so I was, I was fully ingrained uh, in the coaching world as an undergrad in my junior year. And that that all
0: started from you, just your freshman year, being like, hey, uh, can I help?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I just, you know, it kind of escalated pretty quickly. And like I said, I was given an amazing opportunity because even today, as a head coach, when I was a head coach or even now in a program, to be able to give a a junior in college the responsibility that I was given is just unfathomable to me. Um, You know, times are different in athletics, obviously, but Um, like I said, I think Sharon and Sue saw in me that, that my passion for coaching and being involved and and giving, and, um, they never, never held back from with what responsibilities they gave me. And I, I can't even begin to tell you that it was so powerful for me to be sitting in a room with the two of them and us be able to be debating or talking about team philosophy or, or strategies or what we were doing. And, and I was treated as an equal and here I am, you know, in college, um, So it was amazing. Um, Needless to say, I I look back now on it and I appreciate it more than ever because uh, it was pretty special. Um, And then I graduated. Uh, When I graduated, I was either going to go to med school. um, I was offered to be a grad student at UCLA in neurophysiology. Jesus. um, And then I was offered, they offered me a position full-time when I graduated and they they wanted me to stay on and coach. Um, And at the time, there was not, generally a third coach on any division one school, a uh, softball school. So they created a position for me that didn't really exist, um, in the NCA or across the country, um, when I graduated and I took that opportunity and, um, and continued to grow as a coach now working full time at UCLA and did that for another, um, six years actually until I, I took a head coaching job at Oregon state.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's pretty wild. Is it just... Is it just a matter of circumstance and sort of the era that you were there in? I mean, would something like that happen today, or or is anything? Is the NCAA just so more stringent in terms of uh, of stuff? I mean, if somebody came to you, I mean, right now, if somebody came to you UCLA and was like, "Hey, uh, I want to help out," um, you know. What would that look like? I mean, I can't imagine that in a couple of years that person is on scholarship and traveling doing all the stuff you were doing. I mean, or or am I wrong? Well, you know, I I think um, it it certainly could happen. It certainly could happen. You know,
1: we have managers now. We have more scholarships for managers now than existed back when I was in school. It was kind of unheard of for a manager to be on a scholarship in sport of softball when I did it. Now we do have managers that come in. I think um, it's certainly... It could happen, um, but I am just very thankful for the time that I that I got involved in women's athletics. Is that um, the NCA did not have a lot of high priority and a lot of um, restraints on what women's athletics were doing. So um, UCLA athletics, women's athletics back then under Dr. Holland, Judith Holland, um, was was a leader in the country, and she pushed the envelope, um, as did Sharon and Sue to kind of um, create the opportunities for women's athletics and me being a passionate part of that, even as a male, um, I'm, I'm just so fortunate to be a part of it because I feel like women's athletics has been something that, um, I've been a champion of and, and obviously been a recipient of the benefits of the growth of women's athletics.
0: Yeah, so so we know what UCLA meant to you from a coaching perspective. What did UCLA do for you as as a person in terms of your sexuality, in terms of your growth as a gay yeah. man? Where, um, where how'd that come into play during your time in college? So again, I think a very interesting. So I was in school, you know,
1: eighty four to basically eighty eight. Um, as you know, historically, that was a huge time for AIDS and everything that was going on um, in that. Um, that period of time in the eighties. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, for my sexuality, it was very easy now again for me to kind of closet myself or kind of compartmentalize my life. I, here I am, I'm a student, I'm all around all these women. Um, I'm spending time with them socially, but I always am in a coaching role. So when they would go off to the fr- frat parties or to do anything drinking or do anything socially, I kind of immediately kind of just said, okay, I'll see you later because now I'm in coach role and I'm, I'd walk away from it. Yeah. But, but it, again, it became very easy for me to justify I wasn't dating, um, I wasn't kind of around the, all the drinking or the college life, so I was able to kind of isolate myself because of coaching um, and didn't really have to deal with a lot. Now, obviously, I, I was more exposed to you know, different people and, and, and people that were gay, but again, there weren't any role models in sports or in athletics of gay men that were coaching or gay men that were around sports or in sports. So mm-hmm. I still kind of was kind of realizing I feel like I'm different, but now I'm, I'm now a little bit more conscious of, um, I guess, my sexuality or at least my attraction to men. Um, But again, I wasn't pursuing it. I lived all of, you know, four miles from West Hollywood (laughs) and never ventured over there. It completely was intimidating, as well as everything that was going on with the AIDS epidemic. So it just, um, again, uh, it was a period of time in my life that it was very easy for me to be focused on athletics and really kind of be in denial about everything else. Well, um, it's it's it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I talk to so many people on this podcast who who sort of say the exact same thing that you just did in terms of, you know, the sport that I was playing allowed me not to or, or, or gave me the benefit of not having to think about my sexuality, the sport that I was coaching, the sport that I was covering or writing about, whatever it is, that gave me the freedom to not have to think about all this other stuff. I just, you know, I was able to keep busy and keep going and keep thinking about what, other stuff. What you know, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And not only, not only just
1: keep busy and be in denial of yourself, but it also created a very, a very strong cover because if you were a male and you were involved in athletics, you were assumed straight. Right. Um, you know, and and you still kind of are today, but certainly less. Um, it's less. Um, automatically assumed. Um, But certainly at that period of time, yes, if I was an athlete, and especially if I was focused and competitive as an athlete, I'm assumed straight. So it's a very easy place to hide, um, not only externally, but internally, like you said, in denial. Uh, I think that's probably incredibly common in men's athletics. Um, Women's athletics is just the opposite. Um, Obviously, if you were involved in athletics as a female, you're assumed lesbian. Mm -hmm. Um, And we know that the numbers are not any higher for lesbians in sport than it is in the general population. But the reverse is assumed as it is on the male side. It's very different.
0: So you stay on your UCLA until when? Ninety four. Yeah. Ninety four. I kind of got the
1: opportunity to head to Oregon state and my first uh, season up at Oregon state was the 94, 95 uh, school year. And, um, it was a great opportunity and and it came about because of the NCA, um, implementing a a restricted earnings position that actually cut my pay and it made it almost difficult for me to stay on at UCLA financially. I just couldn't do it. Mm. Um, and, um, so I had the opportunity and Oregon state was great for me. And it was about that period of time that I started to explore my sexuality a little bit more. Um, and venture out um, there was no again internet was was still fairly um, new uh, there we' were, there wasn't any you know phone apps or anything along those lines so it was definitely a different time
0: well yeah so what yeah, we're ninety five you go to Oregon state right and then yeah, so yeah I mean in in some ways, maybe I'm reading into it too much, but it's almost like you know, you get to a new environment in, in, and in some ways uh, I assume that's kind of a fresh start for you. You're in a new city. You sort of get to, in some ways, craft a new persona, new personality. I mean, obviously you're coming in for a job and, and and people sort of know who you are, but I think a new environment breeds new experiences. Right. And so when when you're in a new city, it was an opportunity. I mean, I moved, I moved, you know, 1800
1: miles away didn't know a soul. Um, and I was in a small town, obviously in Corvallis, but Portland was a bigger city that was a few hours away. So, um, it created an opportunity for me to kind of start to figure out and explore. And then certainly now when I would travel back to California, um, was when I would actually, I would venture over to West Hollywood. Um, because, you know, now we were later in the nineties and, and, um, there was more, uh, access to the internet, so I was much more aware, and uh, I, I, yeah, I certainly now had the opportunity now that I moved
0: away from home, even though it was L.A., um, I, <laughs> well, I moved know, away that's from the, home. That's the, that's the, the funny, th- yeah, that's the funny thing, I mean, I, I think an outsider's perspective would maybe say to you, like, you were living in Los Angeles, like, you were, you were West right. Hollywood was right there, like, what, you know, you're in the best place in the world to be a gay man, but it's like, right. it's not, right. it's obviously just not that simple. Right.
1: Yeah. And I mean, times were different. I, you know, I had, I had it been, you know, 2000 when I was an undergrad and I was here, it, it definitely would have been different. Um, but certainly when I was at UCLA in the eighties, um, it used, West Hollywood was not a, um, a draw for me. It was actually something that I really avoided because it was, um, very foreign to my, my perspective
0: well i mean it's funny i mean i'm thinking i'm sitting here thinking how do you feel now i mean obviously you're around you're around college kids all the time now i mean you see the the experiences that they have that are so wildly different from the one that you had when you were a student growing up with you know apps and social media and all this i mean do you do you wish that you could have had all of that? Or are you just like, Oh my God, this is like so overwhelming and so insane. The lives that you were living. I mean, it's such a different time, especially obviously to be, uh, an LGBTQ person. I mean, the resources yeah. are there, you know, literally in your hand if you want them to be, well, what do you make of that? I mean, you see these kids all the time who, who are, you know, have sort of a community that is more easily accessible. Do you wish you had had that? Well, you know, I think to a certain
1: extent, I, I would say, um, certainly with the two groups that I, that I administer on Facebook, you know, the quality coaches Alliance and, um, go Space, I, I feel like, man, I wish those spaces existed for sure Yeah, because they were specifically, um, you know, networking and meeting and, and building a community around LGBT people in sports. Mm-hmm. So to me, that, that would have been incredibly powerful and I, something I would have absolutely loved. Um, in terms of being um, in, a, in a mode with the social media and the apps and everything, when I was discovering and figuring out who I was, I, I don't know that I regret not having that. <laughs> um, I think it brings with it a, a lot of challenges uh, that are not all positive. Um, so yeah, it's a lot.
0: It's a lot, Kirk. It's a lot.
1: Yeah, there's a lot. So you know, I, I don't really look back on regrets of what I didn't have. Um, but I certainly do think that I am very passionate and motivated about building community for in sports for LGBT people, because that would have never existed when I was, uh, you know, coming out yeah. and it very quickly became apparent, you know, through meeting people when I finally did come out and, and, you know, getting connected to a Sarah Tualo and to Billy Bean and to, you know, all these amazing people and realizing, wow. Our, our experiences as individuals in sport was really something that I thought I was the only one, you know, for most of my life. Mm-hmm. And we even run into it now. You know, we'll, there, an athlete will come out in, you know, in the middle of Idaho or, or North Dakota and they come out and their story is very similar. They thought they were the only one growing up and they didn't know, didn't have any role models. and uh, and, and it's funny because I laugh because I'm thinking no role models. I'm like, good Lord. We've got so many great role models in in sports now coming out right and left. Yeah. But at the same time, when we look at the big four, you know, football, NBA, NFL, NHL and and uh, going from there, we don't really see a lot of high visibility um, still in the LGBT community. Um, But it's there. It's not um, it's not as invisible as it was, but it's just not as prevalent as it
0: could be. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned eventually coming out so you, that you probably you come out publicly in 2005. Is that correct? Yes. So yeah. how, how do we get to that point? So um, I had been uh, a few years in at Oregon State. I
1: started uh, dating um, my partner that I was with for eight, 18 years, started dating. He was lived in Portland. It was very convenient because I would go up to Portland and be in his world, which was uh, very safe for me. And and Um, and then I could go back to Corvallis and kind of be in my coaching closeted world. Um, but they started to cross over because I started to meet a lot of his friends and his people in, in Portland and they were alumni from Oregon state, or they knew who I was. They knew I was coaching. They worked at Nike, you know, on and on and on. So I, I very quickly as I was dating Randy became, um, comfortable with myself, uh, as a gay man. And then, Uh, I got to the point where I wasn't really hiding it anymore, but I wasn't really sharing it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had coaching peers that knew, Olympians that I had coached knew, uh, coaching peers across the country that were friends of mine knew, um, my boss at Oregon State knew. um, So the people knew, but I just wasn't sharing it. And I was in that place for a couple of years where I said I would never deny or lie about it. Um, So this would have been, you know, probably in about 2001, 2002, I was kind of in that place for several years. And um, my partner and I, we decided that we really both always wanted to be parents. And we knew that, that adoption was probably the best um, and most practical vehicle for us. And so we started to pursue open adoption. And uh, I, I shared that with close friends and family. And I knew that if we were going down that road, I was going to have to be a little bit more open because uh, all of a sudden there's a baby in the picture. There's going to be questions, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, and my biggest concern, my biggest concern at that point in time, was not that my team knew that I was gay, but that my team would find out from somebody else right. that I was gay, and that I would have violated the trust that that we kind of had built as a as a as a program and as a family that you know, we take care of each other and we communicate and get through hard times and we share good and bad and Mm -hmm. ups and downs. And I kind of started to realize I was being really, really uh, on the borderline of being lacking my integrity because what I was asking them to do was to share with their teammates and be vulnerable. But yet I wasn't. Yeah. Um, So that's where I started to get into this position of like, wow, I've got to figure this out. So it was the fall of 2005 and and we were going into the adoption pool and I knew that my public image was going to be with my partner in this adoption pool. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what if one of my player's sister has a baby and they're going (laughs) to give it up for adoption and they see me in this catalog? (laughs) So, yeah, I just realized. And the interesting thing I'll say is that at the time, this was 2005, um, it was about 10 years prior to that right about when i moved up to oregon state that um outsports started mm-hmm. and i had met sid um we, i got connected with sid um through the internet um and we had chatted and then when i was down here in la we had met so sid knew my story i met sid and jim and and uh, a few other coaches that they were connected to um and they were building outsports and outsports obviously was an amazing um opportunity to, like, realize that gay men could at least like sports, let alone if they were involved in sports.
0: When you even think yeah. about it back then, I mean, you know, in the in the late two I'm trying to remember the first time that I – visited Outsports, it certainly wasn't then, but like, I, I, you know, I think about how Outsports has even transformed since I started going there to where we are now, where it's like it seems like almost every day there's some sort of coming out story, and it, it you know, the site is the reason for those stories, you know, and it's, it's stories like yours that I imagine sort of in, in the mid to late early 2000s, uh, you know, you, you weren't just like another run of the mill story. I mean, I imagine that this was a pretty big deal.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what really happened was for me, you know, Sid had always been great about, um, and Jim had always been great about, you know, not trying to out me or, or, and they always said, you know, Hey, when you're ready or when you, when you tell us, we'll share your story. We'd love to, but it's on you. Um, you know, we're not gonna share it. And I always valued and respected, that. Um, and I still, to this day, I, I, I appreciate so much that they did that. So when it came to the time when I was going to tell my team, um, I, I it was the fall of 2005. It was about this time of the year. And we had our first team meeting. And I just thought, well, this is as good a time as any. We were coming off of one of our most successful years um, in history. Um, we were ranked as high as three in the country. I'm like, i've got a great returning team they're fantastic they're you know wonderful i'm like i've got nothing to lose
0: yeah (laughs) it didn't
1: feel that way but i you know (laughs) in my head logically so i just i just told them and i rambled i don't even know exactly how i started but i just i rambled for a few minutes and told them that i was adopting and that i had a partner and i I couldn't even tell you exactly what i said the time seemed to just stand still and uh when i got done talking i just said does anybody have any questions and you know, a couple of hands popped up pretty quickly, and all the questions were about <clears throat> the baby. Was it a boy? Was it a girl? <laughs> what was, you know, what was the name? Right. When was the baby going to be around? We want to see the baby. Can we right. do a shower? Like it was all of those questions, and I, I you know, answered what I could because we obviously didn't have any information at the time. But um, and then I said, "Are there any other questions?" <laughs> and they're, they're all sh- they're like, "No." I'm like, "Are you guys good?" They're like, "Yep, yeah, we're good. This is great." You know, and. <laughs> I it mean, just kind of was like nothing. Did um, they
0: sort of – I mean did they sort of say that like, hey, we kind of knew or, or were they well, surprised? Well, not if the, th- that's funny that you say that. Not in that meeting at
1: the time but certainly some conversations later on kind of led to that. And that's like I said. I mean my partner had come to my games all the time. He was always there. We would ride drive together. He'd ride home <laughs> together. Like, right. I, I was I wasn't like I was hiding it. So – and this is what I always said. If they really wanted to figure it out, it wouldn't have been that difficult. Um, <laughs> right. So what it turns out is that I mean it, it, it that,
0: probably was as much of a relief for them as it was for you. They're like, okay, finally, like we now we can at least talk about this. It's like well, that's one hundred percent.
1: For so and that kind of leads us to where we are. So two thousand five. This is the fall of two thousand five. We're coming off a great year. Well, that next season, two thousand five and into two thousand six, was the most successful in the history of that Oregon State program, and that team accomplished some absolutely amazing things during that period of time and took us all the way to the College World Series, which mm-hmm. um, to this day is the only appearance that Oregon State has ever made uh, in the sport of softball College World Series. And looking back now, I realize that it was a- Because was you a, came out. It was absolutely a watershed moment for us as a team and as a family to be bonded. Because for the first time, the integrity I had always asked of them was I was partaking in that and I shared something very vulnerable to them and um, ext- I'm extremely to this day extremely close with that entire team and, and certainly the seniors in that uh, from that team because they were absolutely incredible and um, it, it was a very powerful moment. Um, at the moment, you know at the time we were living it, we're just in the grind, you know and yeah. we're just going after it. But when I reflect back, I can see now very, very clearly, the impact of that. And, and I tell coaches that a lot is that, you know, give, give your athletes the opportunity to know you, right? It's, it's not necessarily that you're gonna discuss gay rights and gay issues on a daily basis, but giving them a chance to know you um, is, is a very powerful opportunity for them to feel connected to you and, and wanna work harder for you and feel that like they can go to battle and go to war um, alongside you um, and that you're in it together. Um, so we ask our athletes all the time to be vulnerable with each other. And um, when I could display that, it had a very powerful effect. So I, I certainly i am um, not uh, you know, naive to that impact that it had on us that year.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it, it is crazy. I mean, I, and I can't tell you how many times on this podcast a story similar to the one that you just told has been told uh-huh. in, in the sense of like – I came out, and then I had my best season ever. I came out, and I got my dream job. I came out, and, and the burden was lifted, and I made the Olympics. It's like, it happens right. all the time, and I, I guess it's it, it, it's it, a unique circumstance for you. Also, can you hear? They're vacuuming outside my apartment. Can you hear <laughs> that? I can't hear. It's okay. It's so annoying. Um, it's like, right now, I mean, come on. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's that same thing. I mean, for you, it's, it's unique because it's but I think speaks to sort of that virtue more than anything else. It's like not only did it free you, but it allowed for sort of the the community and the family that was around you to also embrace that, that just sense of freedom. Right. I mean, like 100% 100%. And
1: I think that, that there's, there's two, two sides to it. And you've kind of nailed both of them, which is you yourself become more authentic, which you can actually be the best version of yourself when you can truly kind of put your energy and your focus where it needs to be. And not on trying to hide or trying to, you know, remember the lies or the stories or what I've disguised, you know, and that's where I say for an athlete, man, if I'm a coach, I want my athlete to be able to focus on school and competing and just thriving. And if if what I know now about an athlete that would be gay and that's hiding it, the amount of energy on and anybody that's gay knows this on literally almost every second of the day. Did I look at that person too long? Am I looking the wrong place? Am I sounding gay? Am I walking gay? Did I say that? Did I say something or not? Did I look the wrong place? Mm-hmm. Like, it's a nonstop energy suck yeah. <laughs> that you just don't realize until you can free that up. And that's, that's when you start to really be authentic and be really put your efforts and your power into the things that you should be. Uh, right. And as an athlete, that's as a college athlete, that's school um, and, and your performance. So. Um, I think that's powerful. And then I agree with you. I think um, that I hear always, uh, time and time again, um, and this is I hear this as much from straight athletes and coaches as I do from other gay athletes and coaches, which is the courage with which they attribute to an athlete or a coach or somebody coming out is so appreciated and so respected that it creates a culture that is powerful, that... You, that you can once again surround yourself with people that are like-minded, that are being courageous, that are being authentic, that are kind yeah. of putting themselves out there um, for what might be challenging and yet getting the benefit from it. So that's what we want in athletics, in team sports anyways. Um, that's what we thrive to create, that culture on a, on a yearly basis. So yes, when an athlete or coach comes out, we're often seeing that the team itself goes to a whole nother level, not just the athlete.
0: Yeah, no, it's incredible stuff. So you come out, OutSports does their thing with you, and then I, I went, <laughs> is,
1: yeah. is, so, tri- is that a yeah.
0: trivial way? OutSports does their thing. <laughs> right, so right. So I get done with the team meeting, and I'm like,
1: that was you know, like exhilarating. My adrenaline's rolling, and I'm feeling good and great. And I thought, wow, I need to tell Sid. So I called Sid, and I'm literally walking back to my office, and I said, Sid, Just so you know, I told my team, um, it was great. They're excited, blah, blah, blah. And so you're more than happy to do a story anytime you want. And, um, so immediately Jim, uh, Jim, Jim called and sat down and we did a a full interview and a a full thing. And, And Jim wrote an amazing story that I'm very appreciative of. And they, they launched it. I probably, it was at the end of the week or the beginning of the next week. It was pretty quickly that they, that they launched it. Yeah. And I'm thinking, great. It's nice. It's cute. It's a great website. You know, (laughs) whatever. Who cares? I'm a softball coach. Nobody cares. Like, whatever. Well, that changed pretty quickly because immediately it was picked up by the Portland Tribune. And the Portland Tribune um, was like, wow, this is great. We'd love to do a story. I'm like, okay, great. They did a story. Then that was immediately picked up by the New York Daily News. Mm -hmm. New York Daily News does a story and that comes out and it's a big story. And then Logo TV called and like, oh, my God, we want to do a segment. And through that whole process, it became a little bit of a a small media storm because it it turns out that um, if you were to Google gay coach or out gay coach, there was no one else in the country that would come up on the Internet. Now, at the time, there we know now obviously that um, Charlie Sullivan, at at uh, a rowing coach at Michigan, had come out publicly, but for some reason it it, it never really kind of stuck in the media, um, so that I got labeled with being the first out Division One coach, the first out coach in college athletics. And...
0: Did you did you know that that was going <coughs> to be true?
1: No. So when I was, t- <laughs> this is what's funny. So when I was Logo TV or somebody first said that to me, I, they said, oh, so you know you're the first out Division One coach. And I said, no, I'm not. And they said, well, yes, you are. And I said, no, I'm not. I know plenty of other gay coaches. And they <laughs> immediately put the microphone under my face and said, oh, really? Who? And I went, oh, my God. OK, I guess I can't say. I guess they're not publicly out. Yeah. And so I knew other coaches, women, uh, mainly women that, you know had a partner or that um you know we're kind of living a fairly open life um as a as a gay coach but what i discovered and what i found it is that none of none of them had ever put it in the media guide none of them had ever made a, a public statement none of them had ever um you know made a comment about it in the media so it was this this big giant you know pink elephant in the room uh no pun intended that <laughs> there was women obviously that were gay that were coaching. No big surprise, right? If you're a female and you're in sports, you're assumed lesbian anyway. So I didn't think it was a big deal. Um, But it turns out that it, it became a pretty big watershed moment. And, and from there, a lot of doors started to open up for other people. And, and uh, you know, um, Sherry Muro at Portland state ended up a year or so later came out and was the first women's basketball coach to be publicly out. And, There was just a number of other coaches that started to kind of appear and be out. And um, it was a slow process, but it was a very interesting one. And that's kind of where kind of the Quality Coaches Alliance kind of started that that group from out of that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it it, it is so wild, because I think people, when they tell their story, and I I think they think that it's something sort of so small, and like you said, it's like, who's going to care about this? And then you realize, oh, this is like a very big deal. I mean, you realize that pretty quickly. And then eventually, what is it, like a couple couple years later, like the New York Times writes something, right? Yeah, so there was... um... You know, we went through, a. What are, you, uh, what are you, are you drinking water? What is that? Sounds, yeah, sorry. I no, that's fine. It just, along. it sounded, it was like, it was, it sounded <laughs> so refreshing. Right it next to the water it sounded so refreshing. I'm thirsty now.
1: <laughs> so yeah, there was, so there was a kind of a media storm <clears throat> for uh, several months, obviously. And then as we were good and kind of going into the postseason and having a lot of success, more and more media was latching onto it, ESPN and some different people. But it, it just kind of it kind of then died off. Obviously, it's you know, it was big news. And then every now and then somebody would want to do an article. And that was great. And I it's funny when you look back at those articles and I look back at those articles in those first two years, I was really um, I didn't like my answers because I basically every they would talk about. You know, you're a gay coach, and how are you coaching differently? And I was very adamant about, look, I'm being gay is only one part of who I am. Mm-hmm. My coaching record, and my my coaching philosophy, and all those things have nothing to do with me being gay. Like it's 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 just one other component of who I am. It's not, you know, I get I kept getting called the gay coach, and I kept fighting that that label. And it was about two years into it, and I, it was about when the New York Times did their article. I I finally was like forget it. Why do I care who's calling me the gay coach? If it's making this big a difference to all these people that I'm getting emails and letters and handwritten letters from across the country. Um, and and it was amazing because we didn't have social media, but I was getting literally hundreds and hundreds of emails and handwritten notes that were anonymous from people
0: that were working in pro sports. Handwritten notes in the 1930s? It, it it was unbelievable <laughs> i mean i i listen i i appreciate that i'm just it, it was just
1: it was unbelievable because i we just didn't have social media so i was i was getting all of these emails and sometimes they were emails from that were made up as this false identity and i could tell and they would tell who they were but they'd tell me their whole story and um it, it was so it became really powerful and so at that point in time i really started to Realize, man, this is bigger than me. This is not about me being labeled as the gay coach. This is about hundreds and thousands, potentially, of people out there that have never felt validated to be able to be themselves publicly or openly and be in sports. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, I became much more of a champion of the cause at that period of time. And Nike was amazing and Nike really signed me that year after and they loved that I was out. They loved every time there was a, a gay athlete or any gay event going on on campus at Nike. They were driving me up to Nike and I was leading the the parade and the float and you know it, it was great and I was like this Nike ambassador to the LGBT sports world. And yeah. um again I valued that because it 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 was a big company now really kind of saying hey, we get it, social change through sport is powerful, and we want to be on the front edge of that. And um, so yeah, it became a really powerful time for me to start realizing, look, I need to do something more than just keep coaching. I've got this great passion to try and really build a better world in sport um, through just visibility. And um, not just my visibility, but any athlete or any coach that I could help in the process and get them connected to Outsports or just get them to, to be authentic in their in their own world, in their s- circle of influence, I thought this is going to make a huge difference. And that's where my passion really kind of um, ignited.
0: It is, it is kind of funny that like, you know, you decide to come out to your team and, and then all, all of a sudden you're just thrust into the spotlight, right? In, in a way that I'm sure you were not expecting at all. But like, I think just having this conversation with you and, and knowing the work that you're doing now a little bit, I mean, thank God it was you, because somebody else probably would not have been able to handle it as well as you have. Like, you've done it so well. You're the right guy for the job. I'm just, I'm I'm thinking about somebody just like, okay, I'm gay, like, I'm so your coach, whatever, and all of a sudden they're, like, being shipped off to Nike. I I, yeah. can, I can assume that that would have been completely overwhelming for somebody who sort of doesn't have the, the mindset or the temperament that that you do
1: yeah and i i will i mean i appreciate that thank you very much and i think um i i wasn't in that place in those first couple of years because i felt like it was becoming a distraction to my job yeah but it, there was a point and i'll i'll never forget it um when i got a letter uh a handwritten letter and this was one of those handwritten letters that i got oh that i was God. like opened it up and you know i i was i and i never got any negative mail ever or any email ever not one um never But when I opened this one in particular, and it was an athletic trainer that had been working um, in in the 49ers organization, Um, and he had worked there for like 30 years, and his letter was so powerful to me that I realized that, okay, my coaching career is gonna be what it's gonna be, but oh my gosh, if I can make this kind of impact in other people's lives just by just being visible, like, that's easy. Like, no, I don't, I don't have to work at that. I can, I can handle being called the gay coach. I can handle, you know, people wanting to do an interview or saying something stupid to me that I have to clarify on, um, or that I have to come out every single time I meet somebody new. I'm like, I'm okay with that. So I started to kind of just really relish that opportunity. And, and, um, I think it created some great things that have come of it. And uh, certainly, hopefully, we'll talk about a few of those things, too. here Yeah, moving forward.
0: of course. Yeah. Well, you, you just sort of led into a, a question I wanted to ask you. A- as a coach now, you know, you're back at UCLA. But e- even when you're at Oregon State, it's just it's more of a general question, I suppose. W- what is your coming out process for your team? you know are you are you coming out to every new player are you what is that like is it <laughs> is it something where like at the start of the season you sit the team down and you're like hey guys or or, or is it or, or is it or is it more nuanced than that i mean are are you coming so, out to players i mean when you know it's funny that you asked this question cuz i i had a baseball coach text
1: me this exact question today <laughs> okay <laughs> saying so do you come out to the recruits? How do you do this? Like, how does it happen? <laughs> right. And I, I, it's kind of funny that you're asking this question. So um, this is what I would say. Obviously, there's no secret about me at this point in
0: time. Well, that's um, what I was going to say. I mean, I assume and, and most people and social who social media coming. is
1: obviously a part of that. But I will say when I was at Oregon State, it, it, I still had to. We would bring a recruit on campus. And why we'd be walking around campus talking about the campus or you know, what the environment, the team environment. And somehow it would come up about family or whatever, or my daughter, um, or they would meet my daughter and then, and they would ask the question, the mom or dad would ask the question, Oh, what does your wife do? And I'd say, Oh, not my wife, my partner. And I just, I got to the point where I just, it was a very easy thing to just throw out there. I didn't have to share it first. It kind of would just come out in conversation. Um, the interesting thing when I first had to do that is that there would always be a little bit of a silence. Um, you know, maybe while we walked another, you know, 50 feet, 50 (laughs) yards, there'd be this silence. Sure. And then almost inevitably the other spouse of the recruit, whether it was the husband or the wife that didn't ask the question would immediately turn and then want to engage and be like, Oh my God, that's so cool. My cousin's gay or blah, 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 or this and that.
0: Everybody's got a gay cousin. It was really interesting
1: because it was a different generation because at this time now you have to remember the recruits, parents we the same age as I was. I was in that same realm. <laughs> right, right, so I right. was no longer. It wasn't like they were older than me or they were an older generation. They were very much generally my age. So they grew up in a generation where we started to view the, diff- the world differently and we knew more and more people that were gay. So almost inevitably, it opened up a whole nother level of intensity of conversation that was always positive and very fun. Um, which that gave me more and more confidence that when I was recruiting, I would, I was never going to hide it. It's just going to be there because if an athlete's not going to come or a parent's not going to send their kid to the school that I'm coaching because I'm gay, I probably don't really want them
0: involved in my program. I was anywhere. just going to say, it's so. almost like, what a blessing to have, right? You're like, okay, yeah. well, if you're not going to be cool with this, I don't want you here anywhere. Right. And I don't know that. I, and, and I
1: certainly had some parents that, that weren't super comfortable in the beginning, but by the period of, through the process of learning to getting to know me became very comfortable with the whole process. And that's to me, once again, that's great. Yeah. Um, that and that solidified to me that, okay, this is, uh, this is a family that, that is going to be a, a positive benefit. So that, that was certainly early on at Oregon State. Um, and even when I came back down here at UCLA, I was pretty fortunate. When I came to UCLA, um, at the period of time, I was then the first Division I coach to be publicly h- hired that was publicly out. So You're just uh, breaking down barriers everywhere you go. So, and, and at the time, when I came back, coming back to UCLA was a couple of things for me. It was moving back closer to home it was obviously UCLA was home to me and I I was passionate about helping the program, um, kind of rebound and get strong again. Um, but it was also an opportunity to say, okay, I've been this uh, lightning rod a little bit at Oregon state, which is a small school in the Pacific Northwest, right. Mid-major. Um, if I'm back at UCLA, this has greater impact. You know, I, I have greater visibility, even though I'm an assistant coach and not a head coach when I come back it still is a great opportunity. And, and the other thing that I created when I first came back is I immediately told the administration, the people, I said, look, I want, I'm coming back, but I want to make sure that I can be authentic and, and, and run with this and, and use my visibility. Um, and they were very supportive and we did a big event, um, my first year back with, uh, Ben Cohen and Billy Bean and, Mm -hmm. um, Jason Collins and, uh, um Jessica Mendoza actually who is a strong ally who's now working for ESPN which yeah. is amazing um but she was on the panel as an ally um and I had all these great people that I brought back to campus and we did some amazing events and it created a really powerful um energy on campus that we heard from the Williams Institute um that they were blown away because athletics had really been really silent on this issue um And one of the things that I said when I was on the panel was when I was at UCLA, I said, I never, I spent my time at UCLA denying who I was. And I actually had, just like you said, I actually had to leave UCLA and leave LA for me to actually figure out who I was. Mm -hmm. Um, And I said, I never want an employee, an athlete, a manager, a coach, anybody to ever be at UCLA and not feel like UCLA is a, is a safe place to be authentically themselves. Um, Because use being silent is just as bad as being vocally bad. So it's not okay for UCLA as a leader in social justice movement in, I mean, for decades, right? Rafer Johnson and, and uh, you know, um, Jackie Robinson and, and CJ Lee. I mean, like they're, they're, they've been a leader in social movement through sport. And I'm like, for UCLA to be silent on the LGBT issues in sport is just not okay. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't because it was homophobic. It's just nobody was making a statement. Nobody was standing up and nobody was saying anything. Um, And that was my passion when I came back and it created some great movement, um, but it's ongoing. So, at that point, do I need to come out at UCLA? <laughs> at this point in time with social media, if there's anybody that doesn't know that I'm gay, it's pretty surprising. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it does happen. It still happens occasionally. We'll have a booster or somebody and they'll ask about, you know, my daughter and then what does my wife do? I mean, it still happens.
0: Yeah, but I'm very, sure. very
1: rarely. Yeah. yeah.
0: How old is your daughter now?
1: She's thirteen.
0: Wow! Yeah. Ooh, boy. Oh boy, you got a teenager, Kirk. Yeah, it's uh, it's a whole different ballgame. I yeah. can only imagine. <laughs> I wish you the best. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm sure it's going to be great. I mean, it it, it it sounds so powerful, right? To to leave UCLA one person and to come back somebody else and, and to use that voice for good. I mean, it, it must feel. So nice. You know, you must be, you know, you must be on campus sort of walking these same halls and paths and fields that you used to walk, you know, when you were when you were younger, man. And now here you are living this completely, you know, freer, more progressive, more truthful life. It must be quite the experience.
1: You know, it really it is. um, But, you know, just as we're living, anyone's living their daily life, like our daily life, it's it's not necessarily in the forefront of our mind. Right. We're worried about Scheduling practice, and I've got meetings, and I've got to get this done. So it's not necessarily something that's always there. But I will say there are moments, at times, that it really becomes apparent. And you know, it's when those moments happen, it's very, very powerful. Um, and I, I'm very proud of of that ability to do that and to be authentic. Um, but I'm also really proud of the university because you know we've got an amazing on campus beyond the athletic department amazing group of people that if I came to them with an idea, um, a vice provost and said, look, I've got this idea about bringing this speaker in or doing this event. They are like, yes, we're in and let's help and let's make it happen. So, um, I, I had that support when I was at Oregon state where I literally could go right to the vice provost and say, I need $15,000 to do this, this, and this. And they would literally sign off and say, yes, go. Um, and so when I left that, I felt like coming back to UCLA, I might not have the ability to influence in that same way, but it certainly has uh, hasn't been the case. It's been very very positive. Oh, um, that's
0: that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just it's the power of having people behind you who who support you. I mean, and that's when great things can happen. So I. <laughs> I, we've mentioned them a little bit, but I, I want to talk uh, as we sort of wrap up here about all the stuff you're doing now. You've mentioned GoSpace. You've mentioned a uh, Quality Coaching Alliance, two things that I'm very familiar with. But for the listener, uh, tell us what those are and, and the motivation for creating uh, both of those groups.
1: Yeah, so uh, Equality Coaches Alliance... Um, formed um, back in, I guess, technically in 2011, but it was actually a few years before that. And uh, a wrestling coach out of San Francisco, uh, Roger Bingham, um, really came to me with the idea and the thought of something he wanted to do. And he wanted to create a Facebook group for us to get get together to be able to chat about topics. And there was like four of us. It started with four people and it quickly grew um, because I would find different coaches or different administrators. And um, we kind of grew slowly. 13, 14, you know, then maybe 30 after a couple of years. And then when I really started to kind of get acclimated to kind of being visible, um, I really took the group and I really started to recruit heavily anybody that worked in athletics, whether they were um, working as an administrator or an academic person or um, a field maintenance person or working in the front office for the Lakers or anybody that was professional in sports. I really mm-hmm. felt like this was a, a great vehicle for them because I could see the, in, the, the power of it. So although it's called Equality Coaches Alliance, it probably is probably more apropos to be you know, a quality sports professional alliance because it's really about anybody that's, that's making their living or working in sports. Uh, we do have a lot of coaches. We do have a lot of people that are working in college athletics. But the, the group has literally exploded to over 800 members um, in the last uh, five, six years. And, yeah. uh, you know, we're, we're a Facebook group, but we've actually outgrown the uh, platform. So hopefully soon we'll be able to kind of create um, a more effective platform to be able to, to keep networking. Um, but we've we've served I've served as a reference for jobs. Um, I've helped people get connected to job openings um, and so I know that it's a, a beyond the social aspect, it's definitely served as a, a great professional network, um, yeah, to, to yeah. build, um, sports professions. And a few years after, um, equality coaches Alliance was up and running. Um, we had started uh, through Nike, uh, the sports equality or, uh, the LGBT sports, um, coalition. And at that event, an athlete, a swimmer from the university of Arizona came to me and she said, I want to do what you're doing for sports professionals. I want to do the same thing for athletes, college athletes. And I said, great. So I helped her kind of get the the groundwork of what we did and how we did it. And she created um, GoSpace. And um, when she created that, it was mainly swimmers and people that she knew. But very quickly, as people were coming out, we started adding people to that group. And um, that group has literally uh, exploded and is over 800 as well. Um, and uh, I, I can't keep up on a daily basis of adding people. <laughs> we expanded it obviously to include uh, anybody that was an L- uh, student athlete, high school or college uh, that was a student athlete, not just uh, played sports or like sports, but was a student athlete and that identified as LGBT. Um, And we did current and former. So Mm -hmm. um, we're finding people that are, you know, 40, 50 years old that played tennis or played football uh, when they were in college. And um, it's just really powerful to add them to the group as you've kind of seen and lived it firsthand. um, the, The ability to network and realize, man, there's other people from my university or from my conference or in the same sport I played. It's really pretty powerful.
0: Well, it is that thing that you were saying earlier. It's like, had I known that this resource would exist one day, it would have just completely blown my mind. Even, even me growing up, you know, as a kid. I mean, I, I, I certainly don't think I ever would have assumed or, or dreamed that that these resources would be so accessible to me one day. I mean, it's, you know, when you take a step back and think about it that way, that's when I think it really becomes something powerful. And I think it shows how how far we've come. And I, a lot of that is is due to people like you. So thank you for all the work that you've done in creating these resources for all of us and uh, and for for telling your story and for being so well, honest and truthful about yourself
1: thank you very much and obviously it's a
0: great passion of mine to
1: keep uh, keep pushing this movement forward but um i appreciate all those kind words
0: well i i you know and i hope you know that you you're gonna have to put up with me at at maybe a couple of ucla softball games this year <laughs> well that's good i that i look forward to that uh, but anybody,
1: anybody that wants to come out we always love having uh, great fans out there
0: yes uh well thank you kirk this has been such an honor and a pleasure and i appreciate your time so much and i've learned so much from you and i i look forward to all the work that you're going to continue to do because you're doing it on a on a daily basis i get the facebook notifications awesome well thank you i
1: appreciate that and and good luck with all the podcasts and all the great work you're going to be doing i love it
0: Buddy, that is it thank you very much for listening of course thank you to kirk for his time you know i think as you can tell he is a very passionate guy about everything that he's doing and he lives his life with such purpose and i, I think should motivate the rest of us to do just that so thank you to kirk for everything that he's doing and again thank you for listening uh until next time daniel trainer same team signing off bye